Well, good morning. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to see so many of you that we haven't seen for at least a year. Uh, when Iris and I come back, it's just a great pleasure to hang out, see folks that, gosh, we haven't seen in, in a long time. Uh, as some of you may remember, uh, Iris and I moved back to the States uh, three years ago. We now work for an organization called Pioneers International. Uh, I lead a team that helps uh, care for some of the staff that are serving in different, serving Christ in different locations around the world. And uh, Iris uh, focuses specifically on some of the staff that are living and working in East Asia in a variety of uh, capacities. Um, if you've recently moved here, and I suspect there's probably a number of people uh, that have moved to Beijing this summer, you're trying to sort out life in this uh, large uh, city of 22 million. You're developing new habits of life um, that are going to determine your routine, almost certainly, for probably the three years that you'll be in Beijing. So in these few minutes together, I'd just like to think through with you uh, how church, and even this particular church, uh, might fit into your life here, how it could be some positive uh, benefit. As we say in Texas, I have no dog in this hunt, uh, but uh, I think that uh, if, as you're establishing your new routine and your new habits, if you'd give that serious consideration, if you're not accustomed to doing that, or if... Uh, doing church here may not be as familiar to you, but some of these thoughts might be helpful. Uh, one of the popular Christian writers in the States uh, during the past 20 years is a guy named Philip Yancey. He sold about 14 million books, um, got a number of titles out, and one of the more interesting books, uh, books he's written is a, is a book called Church, Why Bother? Uh, Yancey grew up in the southern U.S. Uh, in an extremely conservative church. Uh, it had some strengths, but it also had a, a number of pretty evident weaknesses. So beginning in his 20s, uh, he actually he left the church. He left his faith for a period. And he writes, The harshness of the church that I grew up in, uh, the lack of humility that I observed, of any sense of mystery, stunted my faith for many years. The Christianity I found in my particular church actually kept me from Christ. And I've spent uh, many years since then trying to climb back toward faith and another type of relationship to the church. Uh, studies reveal that the percentage of people attending church uh, in Western countries is not high. About only about 15% of uh, Frenchmen in France uh, attend church on any kind of regular basis. About 10% of people in the UK, 10% uh, of Canadians, about 26% of Americans. There's still uh, uh, somewhat higher attendance in the U.S. About 7% of Aussies attend church. Uh, stats on Asian attendance, Asian church attendance are not so easy available, uh, but we can assume that they're not, perhaps not even that high. And yet, despite not attending church, vast numbers of people, of course, in our culture and our society are not a part of a community of Christians in the cities that they're living in. A huge number of people in surveys express 
a desire for God. They, have, they, they realize that there's a spiritual dimension of life, that they have a spiritual dimension themselves, and they have some sense of God, some desire to connect with God, but they can't connect that desire with what they're observing in church. So it would appear that some churches aren't doing that good a job helping people find and experience God. And so an important question to ask then is, or a couple of questions. First, does God... Uh, have any use for the church? Uh, does he desire to help, uh, to use it to help people understand and connect with him? And well, there's several passages of scripture. Some of these, many of these are familiar to uh, many of you, but they provide some insight into the questions. As we know, of course, the Bible is essentially a, a grand narrative, a story of how God has revealed himself to the human race over a very extended period of time. The early chapters of Genesis, of course, uh, describe God revealing himself uh, through the creation. I, I still, most of my adult life, I like to read science. It's kind of a quirky habit of mine, but I find myself always, when I read the New York Times on a daily or you know routine basis, I'll turn to the science section and see what's happening and uh, see some of the current articles that are being published by people in the various scientific disciplines. And C.S. Lewis said that uh, people that you find in the academic community often that are atheists tend to be in social sciences, psychology, sociology. They study um, the sciences that relate to people. But often the people in natural science, the people that focus really closely and deeply on the nature of matter, of the universe, of biology, microbiology, and chemistry, they tend toward a stronger belief in God because you see the intricacy and the evidence of this amazing design that leads them often to that conclusion. Um, but the early chapters of Genesis, of course, reveal that God is the author of the design that we see around us. And then uh, the later chapters of Genesis and uh, the book of Exodus begin revealing uh, how God displayed himself uh, more broadly to the human race through forming the nation of Israel and then progressively showing himself to them. The last 15 uh, chapters of Exodus, for example, uh, he instructs the Israelites to build this very large tent. There's this massive, of course, number of Israelites that had escaped from Egypt and they're traveling around in the Sinai. And so these chapters describe how he instructed them to erect this uh, very large tent to be called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And um, Exodus chapter 40 repeats no less than seven times that they did, quote, just as the Lord had commanded. So they, they put together the fabric and the tent poles and all this is a very large structure. And then Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 38 says this. Then the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because it was filled with the awesome glory of the Lord. Throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord 
was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all Israel. Now, of course, one stereotype of the Bible, of people that don't routinely read Scripture, is that there are miracles on every page. Well, that's just not the case. Most of the miracles are centered, or they, of course, there's scattered throughout the Scripture. We see God intervening in time and space and displaying himself through the miraculous activity. But a whole lot of those uh, miracles are centered around pivot points in human history when God is doing something fresh and new. So this is one of those pivot points. He had revealed himself through creation, and now he is getting intimately involved in the nation of Israel, and he is going to display himself in some absolutely unmistakable, visible ways to the nation. So, you know, people, whoops, <laughs> you know, they could, they could get their, he could get their attention. And so for about 450 years, uh, God used this facility uh, as a primary location for revealing himself and his will and his presence to the, the Israelites. Pivot point. The nation establishes a monarchy. They began appointing kings. The third king and the line of kings in the nation of Israel, of course, was Solomon. And so he was instructed to build a temple that would replace the tabernacle. God was up to something new. He was going to uh, replace it. So the second book of Chronicles describes what happened after they spent, of course, a great deal of time and labor and resources constructing this temple. So Second Chronicles describes what happened as dedication ceremony of the temple after they finished uh, building it. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 of the book says, When Solomon finished pray praying in this dedication ceremony, fire flashed down from heaven, burnt up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground, worshiping and praising the Lord. Now, this is a dramatic experience uh, of, the, of the presence of God. Now, most of us, well, obviously, we don't experience this on a routine basis. But if you're like me, uh, you could probably, if you've been involved in church for many years or uh, been a part of the community, there have been those rare occasions where while the, the uh, big video <laughs> dimension of this is not evident, but you know something is very, very different today. God is doing something. I was in the BICF years ago. We were living in Hong Kong at the time. And uh, I was traveling up here to do some teaching on about every seven weeks. And it was one of those experiences. I, who, who can explain it? Another day, there was about 800 people attending the Beijing International Christian Fellowship at that time. Uh, it was in the 21st century hotel like it is today. But for whatever reason, in the worship that morning, no, it just wasn't me because everybody in the audience could recognize it. In the worship that morning, something spectacular occurred there was a sense of the reality and the presence of God that I think most of us had never known before, never experienced before. Whatever it was, the motives of a few hearts, the prayers of a few people, or the spirit of the congregation that morning, and you don't forget those kinds of things. Well, this is what happened in a couple of these instances in the history of Israel. 
And so for centuries, God chose to reveal himself after replacing the tent of meeting with the temple. Um, and a group of priests, of course, helped people make made offerings at the temple. And also, they were there to help people understand the books of the Bible that had been written up to that point. And then there's a new era. God is doing things. We see that throughout the scripture. And the, and the, 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 the there's some interesting, fascinating things out there in the future in the study of eschatology, that part of Scripture that sometimes dimly, it's like a bright mist, and it's hard to understand a lot of prophetic passages in Scripture, but we know God is going to be up to do some fresh and new things in his evolving epochs of, of his work among people on earth, and that's coming. But in Acts chapter 2, we see another one of those pivot points in which he is introducing an entirely new approach to revealing himself and in a much bigger and broader and comprehensive way to the people on earth. And um, that Pentecost, the, the day of Pentecost, when all these huge number of, of young Christians were gathered, uh, a miraculous a sequence of events, much like we just read about in the tabernacle and in the tent of meeting and the temple, occurred. So that for the first time, all those that were correctly related to God began being indwelled by the Spirit of God and experiencing the presence of God in a way that had not been available to the vast majority of people prior to that point in history. And so, as that started happening, a tremendous new awakening uh, happened among uh, God's people, and the faith started spreading like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire, and then, of course, it affected Western civilization in ways that are, you know, pretty astonishing. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about the consequences of what we read in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 2. He says in 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, for example, he says, now we are the temple of God. Bricks and mortar in Israel for 450 years was the focus, the locus in which God was revealing himself. And now post-Pentecost, you and I as believers, as a community of people that have recognized the identity of Jesus Christ and we've invited him to be a part of our life and experience, we have a different type of connection to God that was, than was available in earlier eras. And so now, corporately, we have become his temple. And in Ephesians 2, he says, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The cornerstone is Christ himself. Of course, you know, the cornerstone is often in the way of constructing buildings in that period. You built, you know, established a cornerstone, and then you had all the, the parallel lines to get the structure straight. It says, we who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord, joined together as part of the dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. And Paul says we have this uh, treasure in uh, pots of clay. He's saying that the Spirit has become a part of us in ways that were not previ previously available. We are a dwelling where God lives by Spirit. And then Peter, the Apostle Peter, repeats that in 
1 Peter 2, he says, Christ is the living cornerstone of God's temple. God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. This is so that you can show others the goodness of God. This is a very principal part of what God is doing on planet Earth today. In his quiet, sometimes quiet, sometimes uh, very subtle uh, ways and sometimes more flagrant ways. But he is saying that as a community of God, of those who are really related to Jesus, as we come together in community, then we have the capacity to display to the community around us the goodness of God. His character qualities become evident to the people if we're doing a good job of it. If we are rightly relating to each other and we approaching some semblance of health as a church community, we're going to display this to uh, the community around us. So I want to just um, wrap up our remarks this morning and with three reasons that I believe you should uh, do your best to find a way to make uh, a church community and possibly this church community uh, a routine part of your life in these probably three years that you'll be in Beijing. So, Iris, if you'll come up. This is my sweetheart of 32 years. <laughs> I actually, why don't you sit over there? You sit here. Uh, I uh, actually proposed to Iris back in the Paleolithic era <laughs> of uh, 1982. We were uh, helping lead a group of college students over here uh, one summer for a language studies program. We were on the, a student Christian ministry at the University of North Carolina at that time called Crew, And there were a group of students that we were helping lead here for that summer. So one, one uh, evening during that summer, I, we walked down to the uh, Friendship Ho Hotel restaurant over on Third Ring Road. And I said, why don't you, would you marry me and come back here someday? And her answer was not immediately forthcoming. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Beijing was a pretty sobering place for a Texas boy and an Arkansas girl at the time. It, it felt, in a way, it felt a little bit like, uh, well, it was difficult uh, uh, culturally and in some other ways. Uh, but she eventually persuaded her uh, to do that, and uh, we have now two grown sons, Lewis and Logan, who grew up, actually. They grew up either in Hong Kong or in Beijing. Now, Lewis is 29. Uh, Logan's 26, they're both married, and they're living in Nashville, Tennessee, where they're both employed and uh, married, and uh, no grandkids yet, but we are cajoling, manipulating, <laughs> and otherwise trying to persuade them to do that as quickly as possible. But um, three reasons. First, uh, establishing healthy uh, friendships in a church can help you find and experience God. Um, obviously, church is not the only way that we can experience the Lord. Uh, nature, the Bible, prayer, uh, good Christian books, uh, finding worship music that appeals to you, the style of, uh, of a particular type of worship music, if you can find it and spend time carefully entering into that, uh, that can be a very powerful way of connecting with God. But in community, we can experience a type of the reality of God that's it's, uh, basically impossible to uh, experience elsewhere. 
And uh, so Iris was going to tell you a story or two of how we observe that in our years in Beijing and also in capital community. Um, Tom asked me to think of some stories, and I was thinking over the years of so many incredible stories of uh, being in small groups with other women or with other couples. Um, it's really interesting when you have the opportunity to be in small groups with people from other cultures and maybe people from other religion, you know, other Christian backgrounds. You know, some of us come from very conservative, strict backgrounds and some from other backgrounds. So we all, we all learn from e each other. If our first response could not be judgment, but the first response is, okay, explain that to me, you know. I remember being in a group where uh, one of the, somebody had said something and another lady said, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And, and the woman said, you know, I've never heard anyone use the word rebuke, so I don't know what you're talking about. So we, you know, we had to have a little discussion to under, understand what that meant. But I thought one of the, gr one group that I would tell you about, there was a, a British lady here. Um, she was very, very shy, very painfully shy. But she had a heart for her neighbor and she said, I just so, I'm tr I'll try to imitate her. She said, I just so desperately want my neighbor to come to know Jesus. And um, she was so shy, she would almost whisper, I could barely understand her. And she said, will you pray for my neighbor? And I said, I will pray for her. So one day there's, you know, a knock on my door. And she said, I came, I came to pray with you. And I said, well, yeah, you know, and she said, have you been praying for my friend? And I said, yes, I have. And she said, well, I, I thought that maybe, you know, you might, you're quite busy and you may have forgotten. So I just came to be sure. So I will pray with you for my friend. So we prayed and then she convinced me to start a group with, with her friend in the group. And um, her friend was not warm toward the Lord, but she had loved this lady so well and helped her children and just been so good to her that she was willing to come to this group to talk about the Bible. Um, there were about six of us in the group from five different countries. Um, so half the group didn't believe in God at the time. Um, one of the Japanese, the Japanese lady came to know Christ pretty soon and she said, would you pray for my friend who has cancer? So we said we would, so we prayed for her friend. And the next week, the, uh, she said, you know, my friend went back to the doctor and they couldn't find any cancer at all. Um, Mi the lady I'll call Ming, Ming said, she said, you know, you guys, I, I hate to be the, always the one that's against everything, but you Christians are, are pretty silly sometimes. You know, she said, you know, what happened was she got a wrong diagnosis um, they thought she had cancer, but then she went back, and she actually never had cancer. But you people always say, God answered prayer, God answered prayer. And she said, you, you know, every week it was the same with her. She said, you know, I know you mean well. You people are so nice, but you just, this is just, oh, man. You know, I, it's, you can't, I can't believe this stuff. So we just kept going, and um, she said one day after the, 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 Japanese, the Japanese lady's friend had been healed. She said, she goes, I know, we'll do an experiment. My brother has been, and his wife have been trying to have a baby for 10 years, and they've had every medical test done, every procedure, and we're going to pray, and if, if my sister-in-law gets pregnant, I will get on my knees and accept Jesus. And I was, <laughs> and my friend, you know, the Brit my British friend was like, okay, okay. <laughs> Wait a minute, you know. And I said, well, you know, I'm, 
I, I'm not comfortable have, doing an experiment. God doesn't have to answer to us. He doesn't have to prove himself. Um, you know, he, we, you know, he tells us what to do. We don't tell him what to do, but we, we can ask, you know. So I prayed and said, Lord, and the, you know, I was really prayed this big prayer. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known to Ming and that she would see you, that she would know you, that she would know you're real. And I prayed for that for a few minutes. And then I said, and P.S., by the way, help her sister-in-law have a baby. So a couple of weeks later, um, in my little British friend, she's still quiet sitting there. So a couple of weeks later, Ming comes to the study and she said, you guys are not going to believe what just happened. My brother just called and his wife is pregnant. And, uh, and we said, oh, that's, we were celebrating. And she said, this is really upsetting to me. <laughs> and she said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And my quiet little British friend, in the loudest voice I ever heard, said, you know what you have to do. <laughs> so um, that woman, uh, she did get on her knees and she prayed something like this. Okay, fine. <laughs> I will believe in you. But she began to grow and change. And um, there was just such a sweet fellowship in that group. I think that's one of my favorite um, groups that I've been in over the years, but there's been some really special, special ones. Um, another key reason to be deeply involved in a community is uh, because your kids uh, need an intellectual and moral framework. Uh, very, very important that your kids have that kind of framework for making wise decisions. Uh, several years ago, an Oxford University Press book um, uh, was released called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of North American Teens. And the book was uh, a comprehensive study of teens in that part of the, of the world, including their spiritual life, and the conclusions uh, were some of these. Teens with a strong religious faith and affiliation with a local church first exhibit greater emotional stability academic success, and community involvement. They express a stronger trust in adults. They have the ability to more effectively relate to authority. They are more likely to avoid risky or life-threatening behavior. They more closely embrace their parents' moral values, including the management of their sexuality. Uh, and it says 82% of teens attending church do so because of their parents' participation and leadership. Uh, so uh, both the social science research and the scripture is very clear that you and I, we have a much better chance of realizing our hope for our kids if you take the leadership and in involving them in a healthy, uh, vibrant group of Christians in an ongoing, regular basis. Um, and if you have teens, um, you're going to soon find out that uh, Beijing, um, if you're recently moved to Beijing, you're going to discover that uh, Beijing is a very wide open place. If they're one of the international schools, they won't be here two months before they'll know the location, a couple of locations here in Beijing where they can buy any kind of drug available in the world. Uh, I've been a few yards behind my own sons when they were teens down in San Tun, and a couple of uh, gals of the night, you know, were propositioning them. So this is, this is the city in which uh, you find yourself. And so 
as a community, uh, as individuals, if you're committed to building the strongest teen and children's program that you can possibly build by collaborating together, by praying, by volunteering to teach, by trying to display the love of Christ through your relationship with the kids and the teens uh, through their activities, then uh, it can make a gigantic difference in the life that they experience here. And uh, we're drawing close on our time here. And, um, but why don't you just tell one more story and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, well, I was thinking of one teen, uh, a, a guy named Max. He, was, uh, he played baseball for ISB. He was really popular. Um, he became a believer in the youth group, and he had never been a part of a church community before. He used to help me in the Sunday school teach children, and he, he loved listening to the stories that I would tell the little kids because he said, I never heard these stories before. But he changed so much that uh, one of our ladies was with his mom at a bu bus stop, and and she said, my son, something's happening to my son. I, I asked him what he want for his birthday. And he said, he wants a Bible. You know, what in the heck? My son wants a Bible for his birthday. And, you know, he wants to go to church. And, um, but he, he was just such a blessing and a joy around here. And, um, you know, he, he's one of the examples of those kids. Um, I just had one funny story. Can I add one funny sure. story? Go I have it. to say, Rick's wife, Kathy, um, I have to tell this story about her. We were, um, the first year of Capitol, I had done a program with the, the children, and uh, we had practiced, and that morning I was going to come up to the front with the children and present the, the program. And I was playing with the kids in the nursery, and I plopped down on the floor, and my pants split from, you know, completely. And I said, what am I going to do? I'm about to do this children's program. I, my pants are split. And, you know, I, I, I don't have time to go home. And Kathy just looked at me and she said, take my pants. <laughs> so we went to the bathroom and switched pants. And I did the program in her pants. <laughs> and then we went back and switched. And I stayed seated <laughs> until everyone left. And then Tom helped me leave. But... Kathy, you know, we share everything in Christian fellowship. Even sometimes you might have to share your pants. I'm just saying. Uh, the, the caveats, you know, in a place like Beijing, um, there are limited options for being a part of a church community. It, 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 took the, it was the grace of God and the intervention of some very gifted people um, that, that uh, used to be a part of capital community to appeal to the authorities to gain authorization for capital community to meet out here. Same thing happened to BICF and others. It is not easy by any stretch of the imagination to gain authorization to meet in a community like this. And I just actually saw police out there this morning. I just I was walking by to get some water and I don't know, it looked like some official was out there this morning. So. Um, the number of options uh, to be a part of a community are just not that uh, abundant in Beijing. And so they're going to be, a, no matter where you go uh, in any church in town, there's going to be plenty of things that you don't like about the church. It may the worship music uh, on a routine basis or certainly on occasionally is not going to appeal. The, what you observe in style. Uh, we've, we've had some very close European friends and, and, um, that have been deeply a part of Capital, but they mentioned to me in some meals a couple of times, they said, well, you know, we love this part of Capital community, but this other part is just almost intolerable. 
to us. And so you're going to feel that if you decide to commit yourself to being a part of the community, and that's just the reality. But if you can see your way through that and push through that uh, for uh, the sake of the broader uh, witness to the community, for the well-being of your kids and your teens, and volunteer, get engaged. Uh, once somebody once said that uh, the, often the Christian community is like uh, a football game. There are 80,000 people in the stands uh, desperately needing exercise and 11 people on the field that are desperately needing rest. <laughs> and uh, so what the church needs is active, engaged, devoted, prayerful, gifted leaders. So if you can devote yourself to spending a portion of your time to building this community, uh, if this is the place that you feel that the Lord is leading you to be involved in, then I think you can build something here that uh, will be of great benefit to you, to your family, and to the community uh, at large. So we, we love always being with you. We just here very briefly. Uh, this, uh, this time we leave on Wednesday to go to a different city in China to do some things there. And, uh, but it's just absolutely a delight to see so many of you that we've known and to connect for a few minutes. Why don't you pray for Capital Community okay. and uh, this year and for our friends here. Lord, we do recognize that apart from you we can do nothing. Um, apart from you there is no life. We ask you to pour out your love, pour out your power on this group of people. I pray that as they interact with each other that you would do great things, um, that you would meet them where they are and provide for them what they need, protect them, uh, and bless them and allow them to live in your favor so that the, their years in Beijing, they would look back and say, um, those were really special years that we spent in Beijing and a part of that community. So we pray for this group. Pray for your power to be poured out. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.